0: How many of you have ever encountered conflict in your family? Got a few amusing stories about family conflict this morning that I want to share with you. Here's the first. A police officer jumps into his squad car and calls the station. I have a very tense situation here. He says, a woman shot her husband for stepping on the floor she just mopped. Have you arrested her yet, asks the sergeant? No, not yet. The floor's still wet. Here's another, my 11-year-old grandson spent a beautiful Saturday morning playing video games. His older sister tried to coax him outside by warning, someday you're going to be 30 years old, single, and living in mom's basement playing video games all day long. His response, I can only dream of such a day. And here's the last, we were in a restaurant perusing the menu when I let my husband know that he rarely paid attention to me when I spoke. Well, of course, he disagreed, so we went back to reading our menus in chilly silence. After a few uncomfortable minutes, I said, I think I'm getting a headache. He responded, go ahead, sweetheart, get whatever you want. (laughs) Today, we are continuing the series called Family Matters, and we are going to tackle this topic of conflict. And this is what I'd like to do. I want us to look at what the Bible says about conflict. Because the Bible not only explains why we run into conflict, it shows us how to deal with that conflict. And this is really important, because when we handle conflict God's way, it not only pleases God, it benefits us. So let's begin by looking at two key verses about conflict. And this is the first. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The first thing that I want you to notice is this. God himself is a peacemaker. You think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's all about reconciliation. It's about God's desire to bring about peace. Because when you look at the gospel, it starts with the bad news, that we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his plan, away from his purpose. And this is really quite ironic Because the reality is we are at odds with God, but that's not what God intended. It's not the way things are supposed to be. God wants us to be closely connected to him. He wants us to have peace with him. And not only that, but God wants us to experience peace in our relationships with others. God wants us to experience peace within our own hearts. But the real problem is this, sin. Sin prevents us from experiencing this true peace that God desires for us. And that's because our sin separates us from God. And because of this separation, there is no longer peace in our hearts. And the Bible is clear, God's not only a holy God, which is why sin separates us from him, but God is a just God, which means that he can't just look the other way, he has to punish our sin. And this book we call the Bible says that the the punishment for our disobedience is really serious is to die and to be separated from God forever. But here's the good news. God really, really loves you. And because he loves you, he wanted to make a way for your relationship with him to be restored. And that's why Jesus comes to our world. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, comes to this world, and he lives a perfect life. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, there's a prediction about Jesus coming, and it has a number of titles. And one of those titles is Prince of of Peace. And peace was a really important concept in the Jewish culture. They had a special word for peace, and that word was what? Shalom. Shalom is the idea of something that's broken being put back together, something broken being restored to its original condition. And the reality is this. Because of sin, we have broken hearts and broken lives and broken dreams and broken relationships. And so the mission of Jesus is to come to our world and to put us back together again. And he does that by living the perfect life. And then by being willing to let himself be arrested and hung on a cross. And and this is a remarkable thing that happens on the cross. God's willing to take our failure, our sin, all these things that, that break our hearts and break our relationships with him and others, he takes all of that failure and puts it on Jesus. And Jesus pays for our sin. He dies the death that we deserved, and then three days later, He comes back to life, and he says, look, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, I will give you a new life that involves peace with your Father and now makes it possible for you to live in peace with other people and to experience peace in your own heart. And, And church, the topic of conflict is such a key topic in the Bible. It is central to the gospel. Because Jesus came to our world to not only reconcile us to God, but to each other. And if you're a believer this morning, I want to point this out. Uh, Whenever you encounter conflict, you have an opportunity. An opportunity to do two things. First of all, to draw on the wisdom and the power of Christ in order to deal with that conflict. And that's really important. But you have a second opportunity. And it is to demonstrate the wisdom and the power of Christ to those who are watching you go through that conflict. And that's why God says this to us in the book of Romans. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? On you, live at peace with with the people you like. What does it say? Yeah, the people, everybody. The people you like, the people you don't like, the people that are easy to get along with, the people that are hard to get along with. Live at peace with everyone. but, But listen carefully, when it comes to conflict... You can't control how other people respond, can you? However, you can take responsibility for how you respond to conflict. Now, how many of you would like to become more skilled in dealing with conflict? To become a better peacemaker? I think we all would, and that's what God wants for us as well, and that's why he's given us these principles in his word. I'd like to also point out another book that is really helpful. It's listed on your outline there. The title is Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And I'm going to share some material from his book this morning because everything in this book is squarely based on the Bible. So let me begin with some key questions about conflict, beginning with this one. What causes conflict? Now, I'd like you to do this. Just as I walk through these different causes, think about some conflict that you are going through right now, maybe some conflict that you've been through in the past, and try to identify what caused conflict The conflict. So are you on board? Nod your head if you're with me here. Okay, here we go. So here's the first cause of conflict. Misunderstandings that result from poor communication. Misunderstandings that result from poor communication. You know, all of these different causes are found in the Bible. There are Bible stories that that point this out. And just real quickly, there's a story um, from the Bible about a time after Israel enters the promised land and three of these tribes, they set up this altar on the border of Canaan, and the rest of Israel is ready to go to war because there's a misunderstanding as to why they set up this altar. The people who set it up, these different tribes, they did it to honor God, but everybody else thinks they did it to dishonor God, to rebel against God. So they're ready to to fight to go to war until they sit down and they talk it through and they understand what's going on, and that totally resolves the conflict. Sometimes people are ready to go to war just because there is a misunderstanding due to poor communication. Let me ask you this. You don't need to raise your hand on this one. If you're married, have you ever had conflict because of miscommunication? I mean, who hasn't, right? Or what about this? Maybe you're a teenager, a student. Have you ever had conflict with your parents because of miscommunication? Maybe they didn't understand you. Maybe you didn't understand them. Here's the point. Communication is an important skill in families which involves not only speaking, but what else? What else? Listening, listening. Listen to this story. One time a husband and a wife were at a party chatting with some friends, when the subject of marriage counseling came up. The wife said, uh, we'll never need that. My husband and I have a great relationship. He was a communications major in college and I majored in theater arts. He communicates really well and I just act like I'm listening. You know, one of the best ways to prevent conflict in families is to actively listen in order to understand. Now, here's another cause of conflict. Differences in values, beliefs, expectations, or goals. And I could talk about this for an hour. But let me just give you the view from 40,000 feet. Here's something we all know about families. Everybody in the family is different. Isn't that true? I mean, you think about what they say about marriage, that opposites do what? attract and that's so true um my wife chris was here on the front row in first service and and i was pointing out that we have some really big differences in our personalities and in our preferences i mean we have a lot of things in common but but we're very different people and you know this as a parent when you have children are they all the same no they're all different and so what happens is you have these family members who are different and those differences cause what what are we talking about this morning They cause conflict. So what are some of the things that cause conflict? Well, one of the things that causes conflict in families are differences over finances. You know, one person likes to save and the other person likes to spend what the other person has saved. So it causes conflict. Sometimes it's conflict over how to discipline the kids. Sometimes there's conflict over in-laws or where you go on vacation or where you go for the holidays. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Yeah. And here's something else that causes conflict in families. In fact, this is happening around the world today. Differences in what you believe about God, about Jesus, about Christianity. You know, other nations of the world where there are clashes between religions, there are extreme conflicts in families because of people's allegiance to Jesus Christ. And here's something else that can cause conflict. Differences in opinions about certain people. Let me give an example from the Bible. There's a story about these two church leaders, Paul and Barnabas, and they have a very different opinion about this young man. His name is John Mark. And so Paul comes to Barnabas and says, Hey, Barnabas, let's let's go back to the churches that we we started and just see how they're doing. And, uh, And Barnabas goes, That's great. Let's take John Mark with us. Well, here's what happens. And this is from Acts chapter 15. Barnabas... Wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Notice this next statement. They had such a sharp disagreement that they did what? Yeah, they split up. They went their separate ways. And that story is played out again and again in relationships. People have conflict, they can't resolve it, so they split up, they go their separate ways. Happens in friendships, happens in families, happens in churches. Now, here's another cause of conflict, competition over power, authority, or limited resources. And again, there's so many things that come into play here, but let me just give you a quick example from the Bible. There's a time where God is giving land to Abraham and, and to Lot, and so the servants are in this huge dispute because they don't think there's enough land for the two of them. That resource is limited, and because of the competition, it causes conflict. And that happens all the time in life. It's not just that land is limited, time is limited, money is limited, and it causes conflict in families, in businesses, in churches. And here's the last cause of conflict that I want to point out this morning, sinful attitudes, words, and actions. Check out these Bible verses from James chapter 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What's causing the conflict? Don't they come from the evil desires at war where? Within you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You know, so often when we have conflict with other people, where's the problem? It's out there. Problems with you. But what does James say? Where's the problem? It's in each one of us. It's in our hearts because we have hearts that are sinful and hearts that are selfish. And so often, that is the primary cause of conflict. But let me point this out as well. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing. Conflict can actually be constructive. Think about this. God made us as individuals. Isn't that true? And so we have different on priorities and different preferences. We have different opinions about a whole bunch of stuff. And that doesn't mean that one person is right and the other person is wrong. It just means that God made us differently. And so what we can do is learn to work out the conflict because when we do that, it actually benefits us. It can help us become more creative. It can actually make life a lot more interesting. And we need to remember this. When it comes to our relationships and to our personalities, our goal is not uniformity. Our goal is unity. I remember one pastor saying this. He said, you know, when you try to deal with conflict God's way, you can actually walk hand in hand even though you don't see eye to eye. That is so true. And that brings us to this next principle this morning, or actually next question. How do we often respond to conflict? What is our response? And I want to I point out, first of all, two ways of handling conflict, and they are polar opposites. The first could be called this, peace-faking responses. And here's the first, denial. One way that people often deal with conflict is to pretend it doesn't exist. And if the conflict is so big you can't pretend it doesn't exist, you just refuse to deal with it. Now, let me ask you this. If you take that course of action, do you think the conflict gets better or worse? You should probably know this. It gets what? It gets a lot worse Listen to this story. After my husband and I had a huge argument, we ended up not talking to each other for days. Finally, on the third day, he asked where one of his shirts was. Oh, I said, so now you're speaking to me. He looked confused. What are you talking about? Haven't you noticed that I haven't spoken to you for three days, I challenged? No, he said. I just thought we were getting along. We can live in denial when it comes to conflict. And here's another way that we can deal with conflict, flight. As Charlie Brown once said, there's no problem so big that I can't run away from it. Sometimes that's exactly what people do. People leave home, they quit their job, they end the friendship, they leave the church, they file for divorce. Now let me say this when it comes to this response to conflict, there are times when it is perfectly legitimate to step away from conflict there are times when the conflict gets really severe and you need to step away and you need to take time to pray and to think about your response that's a wise and biblical thing to do there are even times where there's really severe conflict it could be a situation where there's physical abuse and you need to remove yourself from that situation you need to seek the counsel of wise people who can help you figure out the best way forward and then when it comes to these escape responses Here's the most serious, suicide. In my former calling as a paramedic and in my current calling as a pastor, I have seen this happen all too often where people just can no longer deal with the conflict and so they take their own life. Now, I want to point something out here. These three responses, denial, flight, suicide, are escape responses But there's a completely different response that people often have. And it could be characterized with this term, peace-breaking. Because these are attack responses. Instead of retreating, you go on the offensive. You attack. There was a couple who drove several miles down a country road, not saying a word. An earlier discussion led to an argument, and neither of them wanted to give in. As they passed a barnyard of mules and pigs, the husband sarcastically asked, Relatives of yours? Yep, the wife replied, (laughs) in-laws. You know, one of the ways that we become peacebreakers is with our words. And sometimes, not that any of you have ever done this. You use your words to win the argument. Or you use your words to assert your rights. Or, sadly, sometimes we use our words to intentionally hurt another person. And here's a term for that. Assault. Now, assault can be verbal, we know that, but sometimes it gets ratcheted up and it becomes what kind of assault? Physical physical assault. Physical assault. Where people actually get into fist fights. Now, let me point out another response here. This is another attack response, and you just saw it briefly. Litigation. It's when you take somebody to court. You're gonna make them pay, you're gonna make them do what you want them to do, but here's the problem: litigation can often cause significant significant problems when it comes to relationships. And it doesn't always result in a fair or just settlement. There's a a situation in the Bible. This is back in the first century. People living in the city of Corinth were taking each other to civil court. This is Christians, people in the church. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, time out. What you need to do is to try to settle this in the church, not in the courtroom." And here's the last attack response, and again, this one's really serious, is murder. And we hear about this in the news all the time. It's happening around the world. This is how people try to solve conflict. And of course, this is nothing new. We see it in the Bible again and again. There's a, a story in the New Testament about the first Christian martyr. His name is Stephen. And he preaches this sermon to the Jewish High Council, and they are so offended that they try to deal with the conflict by killing him. And in fact, they do. They, they drag him outside the city and stone him to death. Now, we might think, wow, that is really extreme. But remember what Jesus said about where murder starts. Where does it start? Right here in our heart. When we choose words that intentionally hurt other people, we are actually headed in that direction. Now, I want to do this. I want to point out that there's a difference in focus with these two approaches. In peace faking the focus is on yourself. What I want, what I need, what's best for me, what's most convenient. And with peace-breaking, the focus is on the other person. You're trying to blame them. You're trying to get them to fix the problem. You expect them to give in to what you want. In this book by Ken Sandy called Peacemaker, and again, it's a really helpful book when it comes to dealing with conflict, He says that when you take either of these approaches, if you take the peace-faking approach or the peace-breaking approach, it results in this. K-Y-R-G, which stands for kiss your relationship goodbye. Because that's often what happens. But there is a better way. There's God's way, which is not peace-faking or peace-breaking, but peace-making. So how does God want us to respond to conflict? Well, notice this statement on your outline. Says this God wants us to be peacemakers as we put on our gospel glasses and see that because we have a new record, we can extend grace and forgiveness to others. Look at this Bible verse from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Church, I think one of the most difficult. And I think, obviously, one of the most important things that has to happen in order to resolve conflict is to genuinely forgive those who have hurt us deeply. The question is, how do we do that? And I think it is so important to actually pick up our gospel glasses, to see this conflict with another person through the lens of the gospel. And we put on our gospel glasses, and we look in the mirror, and we think, you know what? God has forgiven me. And what God wants me to do is to forgive this other person just as I've been forgiven. Because listen, when God forgives you, he doesn't hold what you've done over your head. God doesn't remind you of all the times that you've failed, does he? God doesn't say, you know what? You're going to keep paying over and over again. We don't have to pay at all because Jesus paid it all. And so really when you think about it, what we need to do is, is go to God And just receive this grace to stand under the waterfall of His grace and His forgiveness so that we're able to extend that grace and that forgiveness to others. And that happens as we put on our gospel glasses. And here's something else that we need to see by putting on our gospel glasses because we have a new identity, we are called to seek peace. Because we have a new identity, we are called to seek peace. When you become a Christian, you are adopted into whose family? This is not a trick question. You're adopted into God's family. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. Do you remember the verse we looked at at the beginning of the message? It, It talked about being peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See, in God's family, peacemaking is what we do. It's our identity. We work through issues. We love, we forgive, we reconcile. And there's a passage of Scripture, this is in 1 Peter, where this is so clear. Peter writes this, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other. Notice this, as brothers and sisters. And that's as brothers and sisters in God's family. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. And then he talks about what we should not do. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with what? A blessing. And notice this statement. This is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. And then he goes on. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, and who doesn't? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. And notice this statement. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Seek peace and pursue it because that's what you do when you're a child of God. That is your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. And finally, when we put on our gospel glasses, we see this. Because we have a new potential, we can deal with conflict God's way. Because we have a new potential, we can deal with conflict God's way. Have you ever heard somebody say this? You know, I just lose my temper. It's just the way I am. I just can't help it. Or or somebody who says this, you know what, after what that person did to me, I could never forgive them. Is that true? See, if you're a Christian, you have a new potential. You're able to do things that you could never do in your own strength or wisdom before. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Bible says this, that because the Spirit of God lives in us, we have the desire and the ability to live a life that honors God. And this is so important to realize that God can give us the desire and the ability to forgive, to love, to be patient, to be kind, to reconcile with people who have hurt us deeply. And this is how the the Bible talks about this change. This is from 2 Corinthians. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun let me close with with this thought high in the andes mountains there is this enormous statue of jesus it's called christ of the andes how many of you are familiar with this, this statue it's, it's pretty well known and it's right here on the border of argentina and and chile and the reason it was erected was to serve as a monument for these border disputes that were resolved that threatened to tear these two nations apart And so the the promise between the people of Argentina and the people of Chile was as long as this statue stands, we will live in peace with each other. And so 14,000 feet above sea level, you have this enormous statue of Jesus. In one hand, he's holding a cross. In the other hand, he's reaching out to provide a blessing. But here's what's really ironic. Shortly after this huge statue was erected, this big dispute broke out because of how the statue was placed. See, the statue faces Argentina and the back of the statue is toward Chile. And so the people in Chile felt slighted because Jesus has his back to them. And then this really wise journalist wrote this article and said this, well, that's the way the statue has to stand because the people of Argentina need more watching over than the people of Chile. Church, realize this. Jesus Christ today still offers peace and reconciliation to those who are at war with God. And today, this very day, Jesus Christ still offers peace and reconciliation to those who are at war with each other. And that statue of Jesus reminds us that just like the people of Argentina, we all need Jesus watching over us. Let's pray. Father, we we pray that you would help us deal with conflict your way. Father, please forgive us for the times that we've been peace fakers and peace breakers. And Lord, the reality is that this very day, some of us are dealing with conflict, with our friends, conflict with our families, with our coworkers. And Lord, for some of us, it's causing a lot of pain and a lot of sadness. And so we come to you and ask you to help us. God, help us to be patient. Help us to forgive. God, help us to love other people the way that you've loved us. Help us to honor you in all that we do. God, today we thank you that Jesus came to our world so that we could have peace with you and make it possible for us to live in peace with others. Father, may we experience that peace now as we remember how much you love us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.